0: And the title of the sermons is, He Took Our Place. He Took Our Place. We're going to be picking up pretty close to where we left off last week, uh, about a month and a half ago when this situation began with a pandemic. I took us to Jeremiah 18 to look at the potter and the clay, really having no idea how the following weeks would develop into these other sermons, bringing us to this Resurrection Sunday, where we have the opportunity to build off what we've looked at the last couple weeks, for an, and a very appropriate sermon. And so not planned, never didn't plan it this way, but thankful that the Lord has allowed it to um, continue. So we're going to be picking up where we left off last week, which is to say soon after Judas returned the money and hung himself. And then if you were able to tune in into Wednesday night, two Wednesdays ago, we began with some verses in Zechariah, these verses, which we'll continue on and uh, continue where we left off. Here's how I want to invite you to see Zechariah 11, really the whole chapter, although we're only going to be able to look at a few of the verses. It's practically a summary of the last few hours of Jesus' earthly life. And in these verses, Zechariah acts out this drama, as I shared two weeks ago. He plays the part of two different shepherds. He plays the part of the true shepherd, which is Jesus Christ, and then he also plays the part of the foolish shepherd who is Barabbas, and the people reject the true shepherd, and then they embrace the foolish shepherd. Look at verse 12 with me to briefly review and get the context. The context is that shepherds deserve to be paid for their services. Zechariah is acting like Jesus, the true shepherd, who goes to the people and asks for his wages. It's like he says, how do you think I've done as your shepherd, or what do you think I'm worth? And then look at verse 12. I said to them, if it is agreeable to you, give me my wages, and if not, refrain. So they wait out for my wages 30 pieces of silver. And so the shepherd, or Jesus, asks very graciously, he says, go ahead and give me what you think I'm worth. If that doesn't seem good to you, then don't worry about it. They pay him 30 pieces of silver, a famous amount of money here, and it's important to understand that this is an insult. It would be comparable with giving a waiter a few pennies, If you look in verse 13, it's sarcastically called a princely price. According to Exodus 21 32, this was the amount that was paid for a slave that had been gored by an ox. And so you can imagine that a slave who had been gored by an ox is considered very worthless. And the idea is that's how they viewed Jesus as their shepherd. And we recognize this prophecy because of Judas betraying Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. The lord is so disgusted with this amount look what he says to do within in verse 13. the lord said to me throw it to the potter that princely price they set on me so i took the 30 pieces of silver i threw them into the house of the lord for the potter and this is another prophecy about jesus we read the fulfillment last week when we saw judas return the money to the temple verse 20 or matthew 27 5 you don't have to turn there but judas threw the 30 pieces of silver into the temple and departed just as zechariah said and then he went and he hanged himself <clears throat> look what the true shepherd does as a result of being rejected by the people in verse 14 he says i cut in two my other staff he'd already broken his other one but this one bonds he breaks it in half that i might break the brotherhood that exists between judah and israel and so while zechariah was acting like jesus he had taken the implements of a shepherd including a rod and a staff and he breaks the staff picturing the way that god is going to break the nation of israel for rejecting their messiah in 70 a.d when rome came in and destroyed the city the temple and killed countless jews and now because they have rejected jesus the true shepherd there's a transition to the foolish shepherd that the nation embraces which looks forward to them rejecting jesus and embracing barabbas so verse 15. The lord said to me now take for yourself the implements of a foolish shepherd so zechariah changes roles so much he even gets the implements that would or the shepherd tools to act this new part and this brings us to lesson one zechariah prophesied the jews would reject jesus and choose barabbas zechariah prophesied the jews would reject jesus and choose barabbas We hear the word foolish and we tend to think of stupid or unintelligent but if you think of the way foolish is used in scripture particularly perhaps the book of proverbs it means immoral or it means evil for example proverbs describes foolish people but they're not ignorant or necessarily unintelligent but they are ungodly they are immoral or evil and i mention this because brabus was far from a stupid or unintelligent person he was charismatic enough that many people followed him he was a strong enough leader that he's able to lead this uprising or revolt against rome mark 15:7 says a man called barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the uprising and so barabbas was this insurrectionist some translations call him a revolutionary and apparently during a previous uprising he'd committed murder along with some number of rebels. He finds himself in prison with them. Following Barabbas was going to get the Jews in plenty of trouble with Rome. And just go ahead and keep that in mind because we're going to discuss it more later. Look at verse 16 for now. For indeed I will raise up a shepherd in the land who will not care for those who are cut off, nor seek the young, nor heal those that are broken, nor feed those that still stand, but he will eat the flesh of the fat and tear their hooves in pieces and so this describes the behavior of the foolish or the worthless shepherd and it's like a list of things that someone would do if they were a bad shepherd he's not going to care for those cut off he's not going to seek the young he's not going to heal the broken he's not going to feed those still able to stand and these are the things that the true shepherd jesus was doing and would have continued doing had he not been rejected now we're going to go to matthew 27 two books to the right to see the fulfillment of these verses So turn to matthew 27 in your bibles we won't turn anyplace else this morning matthew 27 to see the fulfillment of these verses in zechariah 11. and here's the background we're jumping into we don't have time to cover all of jesus different trials but we're jumping into the middle of his trial before jesus or excuse me we're jumping into the middle of of jesus trial before pilate and what you need to know is pilate has found himself between a rock and a hard place. He knows the religious leaders want to see Jesus crucified, but he also knows what? He knows that Jesus is innocent, that he hasn't done anything wrong. And so you say, well, why doesn't Pilate just say, and and as corrupt as Pilate was, he wasn't corrupt enough to want to turn over this innocent man to be punished. And so you say, well, why didn't Pilate just tell the Jews that he wouldn't turn over this innocent man? And the reason is that Pilate is on thin ice with Rome. There have been a number of uprisings. It wasn't particularly easy to govern the Jews, who could be known for their rebelliousness or stubbornness. And Pilate knew that if he was to experience one more revolt, it could cost him his job, or perhaps it could even cost him his life or, or at least imprisonment. And so he knows that people might riot, and they're willing to use this against him. And so the religious leaders know this. And right in the middle of Pilate believing that things might go terribly for him, he thinks he has a solution. He thinks there's something that he can do that's going to get him out of this mess. It was customary for him to release one prisoner to the people on Passover. And look at verse 15. Now, at the feast, referring to Passover, which is when Jesus was crucified, the governor, this is Pilate, was accustomed to releasing to the multitude one prisoner whom they wished. And at that time, They had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when they gathered together, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus who was called Christ? For he knew, Pilate knew, that they, this is the religious leaders, had handed Jesus over because of envy. Now, history shows Pilate to be a very cruel and corrupt man. He was ruthless, he was unkind to the Jews, he was pretty indifferent to anything except power, but even he knew that the religious leaders had turned Jesus over out of jealousy and hatred, as opposed to Jesus being turned over because he'd actually done anything wrong. Notice verse sixteen says that Barabbas was notorious, which is to say the people knew him. They knew what he had done. And so he said, what was it that made him notorious? Mark fifteen seven, Luke twenty three, nineteen says that he was a murderer and a rebel, a murderer and a rebel. John eighteen forty says that he was a robber. More than likely that that revolt or insurrection he had led against rome that had got him thrown into the prison in the first place also contributed to his notoriety and so to kind of give this some perspective brabus was one of those evil individuals that people typically slept better at night knowing that he was in prison no reasonable person would want him released so i want to be clear about something brabus was far from the only criminal that Pilate could have offered to release. I can't say for sure how many prisoners there were that he had to choose from, but considering that there were millions of Jews, I'm guessing there must have been at least hundreds or probably thousands of prisoners that Pilate could have offered to them. But Pilate chose Barabbas for one reason. He wanted the prisoner that he knew in his mind, beyond the shadow of a doubt, the Jews would not choose to have released. Over Jesus, so that he can get him out of this mess that he finds himself in, and there's one other reason that Pilate might have chosen Barabbas. listen to this Luke 23: two it says that the Jews began to accuse Jesus to Pilate, and this is what they're saying about Jesus. we found this fellow and he was perverting the nation he was forbidding The people to pay taxes to Caesar, which is the opposite of what Jesus actually said. But this is what they were saying. This is the accusation they're bringing against Jesus, saying that he himself is Christ, a king. And so the Jews told Pilate that they had turned Jesus over to him because he was a rebel, or he was an insurrectionist. And so Pilate could very well have chosen Barabbas because he knows that there's no way after bringing these accusations of insurrection and rebellion against jesus that they would then want another insurrectionist or, or rebel released and even notice how Pilate words things in verse 17 he doesn't say whom do you want me to release to you do you want barabbas or do you want jesus that's not what he says instead he says whom do you want me to release to you barabbas or jesus who is called christ it's as though he's reminding them what this is your christ this is your messiah this is your anointed one. He knows only five days earlier that many of these same Jews, or many of the Jews, even if not the exact same ones, had been doing what when Jesus had made his triumphal entry? Worshiping him, uh, calling out to him, and showing this great adoration and affection for him. He had at least heard that Jesus was this miracle worker who had healed many of the people and you know, performed countless miracles and done many things to, to be a blessing. And so it's like Pilate says this, do you want me to release Barabbas to you, this murderer, this criminal, or do you want me to release Jesus, your Christ, your Messiah, your anointed one who has done so much good for you. And unfortunately, at least for Pilate, right when he thought he was making some progress and the people would have chosen Barabbas, something happened. Look at verse 19. Basically destroyed his chances of getting Jesus released. Verse 19. While Pilate was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife, so really the most important moment of his life, his wife sends to him, And she says, have nothing to do with that just man, for I have suffered many things today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and elders, this is the important part. Notice what the religious leaders did here while while Pilate was away. The chief priests and the elders, they persuaded the multitudes, they moved through the congregation of Jews, that they should ask for Barabbas— and destroy jesus now if we just pause and we think about uh, pilate's wife's dream this must have been a horrific one it says that it made her suffer many things throughout the day so this would be the kind of dream that you'd wake up from and your heart is racing you're filled with all this anxiety you can't fall back asleep or shake this this feeling you're experiencing and it was so bad for her that I I just have to assume that this was not customary for his wife to send to him in the middle of the most important trial of his life, or really the most important trial in all of history, that she knows could possibly cost her husband his job or even his life. But it was that urgent to her. So she sends to him. She gives him this message, which reveals just how troubled she really was. And if there was a time that a husband ever should have listened to his wife or trusted that God was speaking to him through her, this was it. Here's what you need to know for this account. When Pilate, well, during this temporary absence that he left to go meet with his wife, it gave the religious leaders this opportunity, it says, to persuade the multitude. That's not my opinion. That's what the verse says that they did. And so Hendrickson, one of the commentaries I was reading, he said that the religious leaders, they had the opportunity to move among the people at this point in order to influence them to ask for the release of barabbas and the destruction of jesus now here's the question why would the jews allow the religious leaders to persuade them what happened to all the jews who were worshiping jesus only five days earlier during his triumphal entry and the answer is this the triumphal entry did not go the way that the people expected. Or you could say the triumphant entry didn't look that triumphant. Like we talked about last week, what were the Jews expecting in their Messiah? They're expecting this Moses-like figure that delivers them from Rome, the way that Moses delivered Israel from Egypt, or this Davidic figure, type figure who's going to be a military leader like david and and deliver israel from rome the way that david delivered from the philistines or solomon restoring israel to their golden ear golden years but instead the king rides in and what i don't i shouldn't say what happened after that let me say after the king made his triumphal entry what didn't happen after that he didn't overthrow rome he didn't seem to become this rich and powerful person so all the people who had been holding out some hope that jesus is going to become this messiah that they've been longing for when he makes his triumphal entry this is it this is what they've been waiting for but the problem is he doesn't look any richer he doesn't look any more powerful he doesn't look any closer to overthrowing rome he's still the humble uh, lowly man that he's always been and this definitely did not sit well with the jews And to make it worse, if you take your minds to the triumphal entry, what did Jesus, if he didn't overthrow Rome after the triumphal entry, what did he do? He wept. And he prophesied of the destruction of the city and the deaths of countless Jews. And so they thought that he was, I mean, looking to 70 AD when Rome came in, a couple decades ahead. Jesus knows what's going to happen. And he begins to weep about the destruction, the punishment that's going to come on the Jews for rejecting their Messiah. And so the Jews expect Jesus to come and deliver them from judgment, not come and prophesy of judgment. And so the religious leaders, you can imagine them walking through the crowd and the things that they would say like, look at him. He's been claiming to be our Messiah. He hasn't done anything. Does he look like a king? Does he look like a deliverer does he look like he's going to overthrow rome consider what david did for us consider what moses did for us consider what solomon did for us and he's supposed to be all of them rolled into one he's supposed to be greater than all of them and what has he done at this point he's done nothing and if the religious leaders could convince jesus or excuse me could convince the jews that jesus was not the messiah then there was something else they could convince the jews of that Jesus was what a blasphemer a liar a terrible deceiver pretty much the worst deceiver who's ever lived in John 19:7 the religious leaders told Pilate we have a law and according to our law he ought to die because he made himself the son of god and this is probably referring to Leviticus 24:16 which says whoever blasphemes the name of the lord shall be put to death So some people, particularly in the cults, will claim that Jesus didn't claim to be God. But the Jews in Jesus' day understood that when Jesus claimed to be the Son of God, he was also claiming equality with God. And here's the thing. If Jesus was not the Messiah, and if he was not the Son of God, then he was a terrible deceiver, really the worst who's ever lived when you consider the number of people that have followed him or that went to death believing the lies that he told and not only would he be this terrible deceiver he would also be a horrific blasphemer and according to the law he would then be deserving of what death and so the point is this if jesus wasn't who he said he was then everything that the jews are saying he deserves he deserved he did deserve to die this was punishable by death the claims that he made, and so you can picture the religious leaders. They're walking through the crowd. They're saying these things about Jesus, convincing all the people that he has been lying to them, misleading them all this time. He's not the person that he says he is, and that brings us to verse 21, Matthew 27:21. The governor answered, Pilate answered, and he said to them, "Which of the two do you want me to release to you?" And they said, Barabbas. And I'm sure this would have been a complete shock to Pilate. It's almost hard for us to wrap our minds around it. This brings us to lesson two. The Jews hated Jesus more than they hated Barabbas. Lesson two, the Jews hated Jesus more than they hated Barabbas. Now Pilate knew that the Jews despised Barabbas and he knew that they would not want barabbas released and back in their midst considering he's a robber considering he's a murderer but pilate underestimated how much they hated jesus and he underestimated that as much as they hated barabbas they hated jesus even more than that and so amazingly really one of the darkest moments in human history you have these individuals who would rather have this violent murderous wicked man in their midst versus having the sinless righteous son of God and so you say well how could they make this choice they can make this choice because man is depraved despite what anyone says man's heart is dark and wicked and unregenerate man will choose evil over good and you see that probably no better place than when they choose Barabbas over Jesus just follow me for a moment most of you have probably heard before that the Greek word for the premier love or the sacrificial or unconditional love is agape. It's the word used in the most famous verse in Scripture, John three sixteen. For God so loved, this is agape, the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And what this means is God has an unconditional or sacrificial love for us. His love is not conditional on us, which is to say that there's nothing that you could do that would cause you or cause God to love you less or cause him to love you more because he couldn't love you more than he already does. It's also to say that he has a very sacrificial love for us, which is to say he's willing to sacrifice out of the love he has for us. We're given the example there in John three sixteen that he loves us so much, his love would be so sacrificial for us that he would give his own son for our sins, That he would take that punishment that we deserve so that the wrath of his father wouldn't have to be poured out on us now interestingly there are only two relationships in scripture that are defined by agape love and after john 3 16 a few verses later we get to see the other relationship that is characterized by agape or by that love and that is man's love for sin or man's love for darkness John 3 19 this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world referring to Jesus and men loved this is agape darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil and so when Jesus said that men love darkness rather than light I don't think that there could be a better example than when these people called out for or choose darkness in Barabbas rather than the light that they had in Jesus. They had an agape love for darkness that would, a, a, and if, a sacrificial, unconditional love in the sense that what had Barabbas done to merit or deserve their love? Nothing. They literally had an unconditional love for Barabbas. They were willing to sacrifice to have Barabbas. They were willing to endure his violence and his criminal activity and everything else that he, they would sacrifice all that to be able to have him. So they really did have an agape love for Barabbas, a sacrificial, unconditional love for him. Now, at this point, Pilate, I'm sure, shocked that they would choose Barabbas and want him in their midst. He, Pilate knows that the Jews want Jesus killed. But he doesn't know how until verse 22 Pilate said to them what shall i do then with jesus he reminds him again who is called christ and they all said to him let him be crucified and then the governor said i'm sure completely shocked why what evil has he done but they cried out all the more Saying, let him be crucified. And if you notice, let him be crucified is not an answer to the question that Pilate asked, right? He said, what evil has he done? They had no answer. And they didn't even care to reflect on this. All they cared, because of the depravity of their hearts, was to call out even more intensely for Jesus' crucifixion. And this reveals something else that brings us to the next part of lesson two. The Jews hated Jesus more than they hated crucifixion. The Jews hated Jesus more than they hated, part two, crucifixion. We probably are not familiar with the hatred that the Jews had for crucifixion. But Pilate would have been familiar with that hatred. And so probably second only to his shock at them calling out for Barabbas would be his shock associated with them calling out for crucifixion. To, to hear the word crucifixion pass the lips of Jews for another Jew of all people to be crucified. I mean, they, Pilate would not even expect Jews to call out for crucifixion because of how much they hated crucifixion. But if they were going to call out for crucifixion it would be for one of their enemies it wouldn't be for another jew and you say well why did the why did the jews hate crucifixion so much first the romans had incentives that made citizenship very attractive or in other words there were certain things that they offered that made people want to become citizens and one of the things that was at the top of many people's lists because of how terrible crucifixion was that Roman citizens could not be crucified I'm sure there's some number of people that probably signed on the dotted line just to avoid that horrific death but the Jews would not become Roman citizens they were not going to swear their allegiance to Rome or swear their allegiance to Caesar they weren't going to offer some in- incense for him and so because of that they could be crucified which made it a very detestable punishment to them and the other reason probably the even greater reason that the Jews hated crucifixion was their law the Mosaic law Deuteronomy 21 23 says that cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree and so the Jews saw crucifixion as the one form of death described in their law as cursing individuals and so because of that it was truly detestable to them this is a tremendous instance of God using evil for good because it was then only when Jesus hung on a tree that he was able to take the curse that the law promised on our behalf. Galatians 3:13 Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law having become a curse for us. One of the most dramatic instances of Romans 8:28 in all of history when Jesus when God worked out for good this curse that was due us when it was given to his son when his son hung on that tree and so none of us have kept the law perfectly as a result all of us are under a curse we need someone to take that curse for us so we wouldn't experience it ourselves and so jesus willing to be hung on a tree being the recipient of that curse on our behalf and could only do it because he hadn't broken that law himself had he been a lawbreaker then the curse would hang on him and he would have died only for his own sin but having lived that perfect sinless life he was able to hang on that tree not deserving of that curse and then take it and receive it in our place now because of that the jews hated crucifixion and so when pilate hears the jews calling out for crucifixion and for another jew to experience it and of all jews their own messiah must have been a truly astonishing moment i mean absolutely shocking for pilate to hear this because he didn't understand that as much as the jews hated crucifixion they hated jesus even more the only thing that could caused the jews to overlook their hatred for crucifixion was their hatred for jesus and i'll share something with you from the parallel account in john 19. it's not recorded for us in matthew but in john 19 12 it says from then on Pilate sought to release jesus he's trying to free him because he knows he's innocent but the jews entertaining the possibility that jesus isn't going to be killed like they want it says they cried out all the more saying if you let this man go you are not caesar's friend whoever makes himself a king speaks against caesar now of course you know are the jews really that concerned about who is and isn't friends with caesar they hated Caesar that's not going on what's going on but if they could leverage that to see Jesus be crucified then they would do that and so they're threatening Pilate and they're saying if you don't crucify Jesus you are not Caesar's friend which is to say you're a traitor to Rome and so Pilate's catching the threat that they're giving him he he's he recognizes the ultimatum essentially John 19 13 when Pilate therefore heard that saying when he heard them threaten him like this he brought Jesus out. He sat him down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now, it was the preparation day of the Passover, about the sixth hour, and Pilate said to the Jews, behold your king. But they cried out, and they said, away with him, away with him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? I'm sure with complete sincerity asking this very genuine should I crucify your king and the chief priest answered this is unbelievable we have no king but Caesar and this brings us to the last part of lesson two the Jews hated Jesus more than they hated part three Caesar the Jews hated Jesus more than they hated part three Caesar what was the main reason we've talked about it this morning we talked about it last week that the Jews would reject Jesus or be so frustrated or disappointed with him after his triumphal entry but even leading up to the triumphal entry that he hadn't overthrown rome that he didn't look like the messiah that they were expecting that he hadn't done anything to get rid of caesar and take his place and that's because they hated rome they hated caesar they hated the way that romans had persecuted them but as much as the jews hated rome as much as they despised caesar they despised jesus even more than that or here's another way to say it as much as the Jews hated having Caesar as their king they hated even more the idea of having Jesus as their king they said we'll take Caesar if it means we can get rid of Jesus now look at Matthew 27 24. when Pilate saw that he could not prevail when basic, which is to say he saw how much they hated Jesus, but rather that a tumult or a riot was rising or ensuing. He took water, he washed his hands before the multitude, and he said, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. You see to it. So you know that Pilate wanted more than anything to be able to find something anything wrong with jesus so that he could get out of this so that he could turn jesus over he couldn't find anything and so yes Pilate was a a cowardly man yes he was corrupt but it is no small thing that right here in this verse you have a record of this man calling jesus what innocent just the exact same words as his wife so i'm not applauding Pilate, i'm not defending him i'm just saying it is definitely worth noting that this corrupt ungodly man record recorded in the pages of scripture for us called jesus an innocent and just man i want to share something important with you some translations and commentaries so some bible translations it'll be an asterisk it'll be a probably around verse 16 where where is first introduced many commentaries make the point that Barabbas's full name was Jesus Barabbas so yes you heard me correctly he shared the same name with Jesus his name was Jesus Barabbas you probably around verse 16 have a note saying something like that Bart Ehrman in his book the reliability of the New Testament he said it is highly likely that later scribes copying the passage removed the name Jesus from Jesus Barabbas To avoid dishonor to the name of jesus the messiah and it's unfortunate if that is what happened i mean this is why people no matter what sort of good intentions they have shouldn't tamper with god's word and shouldn't remove anything from it if you remember when jesus because we should recognize this or something that the lord wants us to appreciate about barabbas's name to have recorded that it also uh included jesus if you remember when jesus was talking to peter he called him simon bar jonah what does bar mean bar means son of right so to say that simon is simon bar jonah is to say that he is simon son of jonah abba means father and so barabbas's name bar abba is son of the father jesus barabbas then his full name would be jesus son of the father and so to be perfectly clear with you barabbas's full name jesus barabbas was jesus son of the father and this brings us to lesson three the Jews chose the wrong Jesus son of the father lesson three the Jews chose the wrong Jesus son of the father God is our father lesser known in scripture is that the devil is also identified as a father in John 8 42, 44 when he was talking to the religious leaders who were claiming that God was their father, Jesus said to them, If God was your father, you would love me. But you are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father, the devil, you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning. He is a liar and he is the father of it. Now, Barabbas was a liar and he was a murderer. Just like what? Just like the devil, or just like his father. And so here's what's happening. When the Jews had to choose between Jesus and Barabbas, they were choosing between two Jesus sons of the father. They had Jesus, who had God as their father, and then they had Barabbas, who had the devil as his father. And then without hesitation, they cried out for this liar, this murderer, this rebel, this insurrectionist, with the devil as his father to be released instead of jesus in john 5 43 jesus said i've come in my father's name the god of heaven i've come in my father's name you do not receive me if another comes in his own name you will receive and we see that partially at least fulfilled with barabbas and we can tie all this back to the verses that began for us in zechariah 11 prophesying of the rejection of the true shepherd and embracing the foolish shepherd it's unfortunate i think mel gibson he took some number of liberties with the passion of the christ and one of the liberties was when barabbas is introduced or comes onto the screen he's shown as this very ridiculous and absurd looking um, man and that's not the case at all i mean he was a charismatic individual who had been powerful enough to influence people and persuade them into following him and so in zechariah 11 i think probably almost 10 times the word shepherd occurs and it's occurring in the sense of a leader not in the sense i mean shepherds who oversaw sheep but kind of think in the church pastors are leaders and they are called shepherds and so the point is that the jews were going to reject the true shepherd or the true leader and they were going to choose this foolish or this worthless shepherd prophesied of in zechariah 11 finding its fulfillment then In matthew 27 look with verse 25 this is going to have horrible results for the jews rejecting jesus choosing brabus the people answered and they said his blood be on us and on our children you have even a slight familiarity with the history of the jews then you know how true these words became right there has never been another group throughout history who has been as persecuted I mean, one I heard whether this is actually true or not. Someone said, "Tell me in one word why you believe the Bible." And this man answered, "Israel," both because of the persecution and hatred against them, and because of God's protection of them. I mean, you don't. Do you know any Gergeshites anymore? Do you know any Jebusites? Do any Ammonites come to mind? But there are Israelites, or there are Jews. Many of them returning back to their land. It's a tremendous testimony to God's faithfulness, to his covenant that he made with these people. But right here, when they said, let his blood be on us and be on our children, they could not have asked for something that would be uh, experienced greater fulfillment in their lifetimes and in the lifetimes of those to follow them. Now notice, it's not just the religious leaders crying out. It says that it's all the people. All the people are crying out. None of them have any compassion for Jesus. None of them are loyal to him. The horrible and really ironic consequences for the jews kind of look like this they call for jesus crucifixion and then they say let his blood be on us and then take your minds to 70 a.d when rome comes in and remember this is what was prophesied in zechariah 11 that this shepherd or this leader that they chose was not going to lead them well he was not going to care for them he was not going to love them he was going to lead them to distraction and that's exactly what happened, because in 70 AD, the Romans crucified so many Jews that the only reason they stopped is they ran out of trees. They ran out of ground. In other words, they called for Jesus' crucifixion, and that's exactly the punishment that they ended up experiencing on this massive scale. Second, who did they say was their king? They said, Jesus is not our king. Caesar is our king. Caesar, who then did what? Destroy their city, destroyed their temple, slaughtered hundreds of thousands of them maybe millions and then you contrast caesar's actions with jesus when he was weeping considering the judgment that was going to come upon them and what did jesus say oh jerusalem jerusalem how often i wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings but you were not willing and so you can hear this very tender way in which jesus would have cared for them but they rejected him didn't want him as their king instead they wanted Caesar who was going to spill their blood throughout throughout Judea and believe it or not all of this came from them choosing Barabbas and I don't mean came from them choosing Barabbas because that's how God punished them I mean it came from them choosing Barabbas because this is how he led them he was a rebel he was an insurrectionist the Jews had gotten in so much trouble with Rome because of their rebellion because of their insurrections rome got so tired of the rebelliousness of the jews they said we're not going to put up with it anymore we will just wipe you out and much of that came from them following rebellious shepherds or leaders like barabbas now if they would have followed christ what was christ saying to them pay your taxes to caesar submit to rome and if they had listened to the true Shepherd if they had followed Christ's counsel then they would not have found themselves wiped out in 70 AD by Rome look at our last verse verse 26 then he released Barabbas to them and when he had scourged Jesus he delivered Jesus to be crucified and I want you to put yourself in Barabbas' place for just a moment imagine he's in his prison cell and the guards come to get him and what do you think he thought at this moment and also what did he not think i tell you what he didn't think when the guards came to cell. his cell he didn't think this is when i'm going to be released this is when they come and take me out of my cell and i'm free he thinks this is when i die this is when i'm punished for my sins What do you think the guards said to him i suspect they could have said something like brabus you are a guilty wicked man you are evil and you deserve to be punished you are going to be released because jesus of nazareth is going to die in your place and he is going to receive the punishment that you deserve the cross that jesus died on between two thieves or robbers or insurrectionists, probably the cross that belonged to Barabbas. John MacArthur said, more than likely the two men that Jesus died between, who clearly seemed to know each other, were Barabbas's buddies in crime. He could have been their leader during the insurrections or uprisings that they were part of. The whole situation, as you listen to this, i would say very rightfully so sounds unjust it's offensive it is um, very troublesome that this guilty evil man like brabus gets to go unpunished and this innocent righteous man receives the punishment that this guilty man deserves No matter how much that offends us when i put it in those terms what does it sound like that is the gospel that is the gospel this is exactly what happens every single time sinful people repent of their sins and put their faith in christ guilty evil people released unpunished an innocent righteous man receiving the punishment that their sins deserve now here's the truth this is, I probably say this every single time I see a picture or type of the gospel <laughs> in the Old Testament or in the New Testament. I probably say that it's my favorite. And for this week that I was studying this account, it reminded me of how beautiful and wonderful it is. And so it is my favorite, at least for this week. And then when I see another picture or type of the gospel, then that'll be my new favorite, I suppose. But I'll say this. Anytime you see the gospel illustrated, anytime you see a type or 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 shadow or illustration of it it must look unfair it must look unjust you must have the guilty dying for the innocent you must have the innocent or you must have the you must have the innocent dying for the guilty and then you must have the guilty being freed because if you don't have that you don't have the gospel that's the only way that it can be illustrated is with the innocent being punished and with the guilty being freed you've got to see the unfairness you've got to see the injustice if you don't have that you don't have the gospel it's not illustrated for you if you have justice then you don't have christ being punished if you have justice you've got Barabbas being punished you've got us being punished you've got the innocent being free the opposite of what happened And then you've got the guilty dying for their sins. This brings us to lesson four. We are Barabbas. Lesson four. We are Barabbas. Jesus, he took the punishment that Barabbas deserved, just like he takes the punishment that we deserve. But consider this we say this and we should that jesus died in our place and you know it's interesting when kevin gave his communion devotional this morning he was talking about spiritual death because those who were covered by the blood of the lamb during passover still died physically and so even if christ is our passover lamb and we say that he died for us and we're covered by his blood we still die physically So when we talk about Jesus taking our place or dying in our place, we're talking about him doing that spiritually. We know he didn't die for us physically and that we still die physically. But interestingly, with Barabbas, we have an account in scripture of Jesus physically dying for someone. We have an account of Jesus dying in someone's place physically. And here's what I mean. We say, Jesus hung on the cross that belonged to me. He died in my place on the cross he took the punishment that my sins deserve his righteousness became my righteousness and my unrighteousness was imputed to him and he received it as his own his death resulted in my freedom and all of that is true but there's only one person in all of human history who can say these words in a way that's different than everyone else and that is Barabbas could literally say jesus hung on the cross that belonged to me he took the punishment that i deserved his righteousness became my righteousness his unrighteousness or my unrighteousness became his unrighteousness his death resulted in my freedom and so it occurred to me that barabbas had knowledge of what jesus did more than anyone else who ever lived because he spent the rest of his life remembering that this innocent, just man died for him, not spiritually like we say, but literally, physically. And this is what's interesting. We don't have recorded in Scripture. I can say that there's no record in Scripture of Brabus becoming a Christian or living for Christ. There's really only record in church history of him continuing the same path, the same revolt and rebellion that led to his imprisonment and then led to the Jews slaughter at the hands of Rome in 70 AD and I mention this because I think the same could be said of many people today many people today will say Jesus died for me he died in my place he took the punishment that my sins deserve some number of people that you encounter rare is the person who will say that they don't believe in jesus or they don't believe that jesus died for their sins the majority will tell you that that was the case but many of them are not christians they have not repented of their sins they have not turned to him in faith their lives are not surrendered to him they are not born again they have this head knowledge of what jesus did like barabbas more than anyone throughout all history, had had knowledge of what Jesus did for him. And so consider these two questions that Pilate asked during Jesus' trial, which really are the same two questions that we must answer. So maybe you were in Barabbas' place. Now I want you to put yourself in Pilate's place. He asked two questions that all of us must answer. In John eighteen thirty eight, Pilate was interrogating Jesus. And he said, what is truth? What is truth? He said that before jesus do you see the irony in john fourteen six, jesus said i am the way i am the truth i am the life he pilate had truth standing before him and he could not see it and i feel that that is the case with many people today maybe even people who are tuning in to some church services they say they know who jesus is they say they believe he's the son of god and he died on a cross but they don't live as though he is the way the truth and the life they have not repented of their sins and surrendered their lives to him they have not picked up their cross, as Jesus said, is needed for all of his disciples. Look back at Matthew 27, 22, the last verse to look at this morning. Look with me at Matthew 27, 22. Pilate asked, What then shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? I mean, you might circle this question, highlight it, underline it, put asterisks around it. Because this is the most important question anyone could ever ask this is the question that the entire world faces because the answer to this question determines where we spend eternity there's no question that is more important than this what are we going to do with jesus and the answer to that question determines whether we spend eternity in heaven or whether we spend eternity in hell now Pilate, what did he try to do with jesus he said i'm just gonna wash my hands of him and be done with him I'm just going to forget about him but that's not possible we all have to come to terms with this question we all have to decide what we're going to do with Jesus now the answer should be obvious but sadly it was not obvious to those Jews 2,000 years ago they could not have rejected him in a stronger way and sadly the answer does not seem to be obvious to many people today Who might not reject jesus in the same way but still reject him by failing to repent failing to turn to him in faith clinging to their sins the way that the jews wanted to cling to barabbas their sin is barabbas they have an unconditional sacrificial love for their sin their sin does nothing for them their sin hurts them plagues them ruins their lives ruins their marriage ruins their family ruins their job ruins their finances ruins their health ruins them emotionally mentally and they just love their sin unconditionally sacrificially almost nothing the depraved man will not give up for his sin. It is agape love that man has for darkness. The same love that the Jews have for Barabbas, man has for his sin today. So the answer should be obvious, but it's not that obvious to some people. I want to close with this. Barabbas was freed, and he had as much to do with his freedom. There was a a salvation that Barabbas experienced not an eternal salvation, but there was a salvation that he experienced. And he had as much to do with his salvation or freedom as we do with ours. Barabbas contributed as much to the freedom and salvation that he experienced as we contribute to our salvation and freedom, which is to say nothing. Barabbas had a greater chance of getting up, getting out of that prison. He had a greater chance of being able to do that than we have of getting out of the prison that holds us, the prison to sin and death. It would not be too much to say that Barabbas literally could have saved himself easier than any of us can save ourselves. But just as willing as Jesus was 2,000 years ago to take Barabbas' place, to hang on the cross that belonged to him he is just as willing to take our place if we repent and turn to him in faith father i thank you for the individuals who have been able to tune in this morning and while they're hopefully still reflecting on this truth that jesus died in brabus's place physically i pray that each person listening to my words at this time would see the need for jesus to die in their place spiritually for his death to become their death for his death to become their burial and then his resurrection that we celebrate today can be their resurrection if we turn to christ in faith then what he did for Barabbas physically he will do for us spiritually and so for each person listening lord i ask that you'll open their hearts to the gospel plant the seed of the gospel deep within it i think especially about any families who have parents who have gathered their kids around the word to hear it this morning and to worship jesus that they wouldn't celebrate all the trappings that easter brings with it but that they would celebrate jesus victory over sin and death and that those young people who have tuned in who perhaps even have been religious or going to church for some period of time that they would see their need for jesus and that they would see themselves as barabbas this individual where jesus would die in their place and that you would grant them repentance and faith and lives where they would pick up their crosses and follow him, that another generation would come up that would live for him. And so we thank you for this time and for this record of what Jesus did and what he desires to do for us, and we pray all these things in his name. Amen.